0: Hello everyone, Brett Stewart here. Before we start this episode of a Jukebox Roundtable, as always, I want to leave a shout-out at the top of the show to Plectone, our wonderful sponsor that help keep this running. Without Plectone, we would not have shows like this. I would not be able to take additional time every month to not only do our extensive main show, the one that comes out on the 25th, but I also wouldn't be able to do these extra roundtables because we have to book guests and we have to bring them in. It's a lot of extra work. Now, Plectone, if you have not yet heard about them through us, they're a small but growing guitar products company dedicated to a simple goal helping all of you create great music. Now, their pick product that they have is a new twist on an old aspiration to make what is called a double strike pick. Now, it's called the Double Pulse, and it essentially has two guitar picks that are connected by a soft coupler. And it's a uniquely patented design that allows each pick to act and react independently producing these double-pulsed tremolo sounds on your instrument that are absolutely beautiful. I love it. I've said it before on this show. I'm sure you've heard me say it, and I'll say it again. I always have a Plectone in my bag at any gig, at any performance, whenever I'm in the studio, because I know it's going to be useful for me, and I really love it. It's also a great conversation starter because it is a really wild-looking pick, and it creates a really cool sound. They're very inexpensive. You can just go on over to the Plectone.com, That is P-L-E-C-T-O-N-E dot com, and you can grab Plectone picks. If you bundle the two different picks they have together, they have a .5 and a .6 millimeter, you can save a couple bucks as well. I would recommend doing that. You're going to be happy with both. So thank you, listener, for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting Plectone, and Plectone, thank you for supporting us. That's how that circle works. On to the Jukebox Roundtable.
1: Got the jukebox. You're listening to the jukebox roundtable hosted by Brett Stewart. Turn the wheel, release the energy to give us new form, steam to take us to our next home, seeds of life to start a new dawn. Catch a spirit and ride, catch a spirit and ride. Just and fly cause everyone you know will arrive. Hey
0: everyone. this is Brett Stewart here. I'm leaving a message uh, in post on this jukebox roundtable. This is the jukebox for September of 2016. Thank you for joining us. I recorded this conversation about two weeks ago with two people, Lauren Rerick and Noah Jacobs. They are both involved with the Grey Estates music blog and podcast. Now, they're a very feminist-minded publication that deals with gender-neutral artists, that deals with female artists. And as such, we talked about a lot of that in this discussion. We talked about underrepresentation. We talked about discrimination. All of these heavy subjects. This is a jukebox roundtable you are going to want to listen to. Make sure that you keep this downloaded in your feed. Myself, Lauren, and Noah had a really insightful conversation, and I think you're going to get a whole lot out of it. I know I did. So I just wanted to leave this message at the top of the show to introduce you to what we were doing. And without further ado, here was my conversation with Lauren and Noah of the Gray States Podcast and Music Blog. It's a pleasure to have you here on the program. So... Uh, we're going to talk a bit about the Gray Estates at the top of the show, but I want to introduce the second person that we also have on this program with us, and that is Noah Jacobs, and he is uh, he hosts a podcast with you on the Gray Estates. And Noah, do you also write for the Gray Estates?
1: Uh, I have only written one thing for the Gray Estates that I can think of, and it was not a lot of writing. Well, it was a fair amount of writing. Yeah. It's For the Tune Tunes feature that they that Lauren curates, where people uh, come up with a mix uh, based on cartoon characters. I did kind of a angsty, depression-filled one about how Squidward probably hates his job and is super <laughs> depressed.
0: Well, okay, so your primary your primary focus on The gray States then is doing this podcast with Lauren, right? Yeah, besides that, I also write about podcasts
1: for Split Sider. They're this week in comedy podcast feature, but those are just about the two things that I'm doing regularly today.
0: Very cool. So I would like to ask both of you, we'll start with Lauren, about the Grey Estates music blog. We'll talk about it at the end of the show as well, but I would love to get in your own words instead of me just spewing it off to people and I would rather you guys explain to me the importance of your blog and your podcast and what you are doing with the Grey Estates. So what is that, Lauren? What do you want people to take out of what you're doing with it?
2: Um, well, I think the main reason I started it was just because when you look at um, some of the bigger sites, um, there's a lack of representation for um, artists that maybe don't have a budget for publicists or for people that are just doing it because they love it and it's not um, like their full-time job. And I think it's important to have a blog that doesn't do negative reviews. It's only the stuff we love and... Um, it's not about like, oh, I'm going to premiere this so I can get lots of hits or clicks. Um, And I think it's just giving writers and um, people that participate in the site a chance to use their voice about these artists as well because um, I feel like it's so hard a lot of times for people to break into music journalism. So um, like the people that we have writing are just, as passionate about the things that they're writing about as um, the artist making the music. Um,
0: Right. Yeah. So if uh, someone was to send you music and it wasn't something that you didn't feel you could write passionately about or talk positively about, would you not put that on the site then?
2: Yeah. There has been... Some genres I just don't think I'm even qualified to write about, like, or that I don't like. Like, some folk and country stuff, like, that doesn't mean I... I dislike that stuff. I just don't think, or even hip hop. Like, I I don't know enough about that stuff to to say, like, you should listen to this. Um, So I'd rather just not write about it than give an opinion that's not, like, formed, I guess.
0: Very cool. I can definitely respect that. And I think that what you guys are doing with the Grey Estates is similar to what I tried to do with the Jukebox on the monthly program. Because these are roundtables where we have discussions. But on the main program, we spend two hours playing independent uh, bands and artists. I wouldn't get... You know, showcased on radio or big giant websites, and don't have the the uh, the press backing and the managers and the labels in order to get focus on them. And these are people who are doing it because they love it, not because it's their uh, it's their source of income. So I really respect that. I think it's really cool. Uh, Noah, what do you bring to the Gray Estates in terms of the podcast? Give me a little bit about what you guys do with the show uh, in audio form.
1: Uh, well, I do pretty much everything from after the interview finishes until it goes up onto iTunes, I kind of set up the technical end of it and I edit it for Lauren. Lauren's more of the people person and the one with the, uh, established connections and relationships to get the people on the show. And I'm constantly sending Lauren my dream guests and she's pretty often getting them for me. But, uh, I, I just, you know The thing about the podcast more than the site, because the site is going to write about anything that Lauren or another contributor is really passionate about, but we've really focused the podcast on speaking to people who are musicians, who are women, or people who identif- identify as a gender neutral or queer. We've had a few people who are doing their first podcast appearances uh, on our show, and it's been really important. For me to kind of sit back and help Lauren facilitate it because Lauren's a great interviewer. Just last week on our show, we had Jillian Medford from the band Ian Sweet, whose new album Shapeshifter came out today. And uh, Lauren really just asked Jillian like three or four just perfect questions that set Jillian on a path for 40 minutes and I was just sitting there, you know, so happy to be involved. But if uh, if something comes to me, I'll I'll talk. I just I really try to make it. Lauren's affair, because you know, no disrespect to you and no disrespect to me, but there's a lot of men doing podcasts, and as a man, I want to do what I can to help women podcast.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that is phenomenal. And I noticed when I was listening to the show that you guys will very frequently have guests. That is almost a centerpiece of the program. I noticed you uh, were talking with, I believe it was an editor from Westward, which I used to read when I I lived in Denver. Uh, And you had some really fascinating guests on there. So you guys are booking some cool acts and some cool people involved in music journalism.
2: Thank you. Yeah, thanks.
0: So, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some, uh, we're going to talk about gender neutral artists and female representation, all that good stuff. First, we're going to dig into a news segment. What we do on this program is we talk about some of the uh, more evergreen news of the last week or two. That way, uh, our listeners can send us their input on that. And they do that quite a bit, which is really cool. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start with those news segments. And I don't want to touch too heavily on this because everyone and their brother is already doing so but apple did remove the headphone jack in favor of, US- of usbc or the lightning jack uh with their new iphone 7 it was released at the apple keynote on wednesday so everyone who is a music fan i have talked to is very divisive on this some people hate it some people love it lauren is this something you care about
2: um well not right now because um I'm still using the iPhone 5.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: But I do use the, that what is it, the AV? I'm not technical. The Whatever they're getting rid of, I use it when I listen to music in my car. So Now I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to use to listen to music in my car.
0: Right. They're getting rid of the analog auxiliary uh, output and in favor of just doing everything digitally through the USB-C. Noah, is this yeah. something you care about? Are you an Apple user at all?
1: Well, I am speaking to you on my MacBook Air with my iPhone 6S.
0: Oh, Next okay. There you go. Dang. So this is probably a phone you'll end up with if you're a if you're one of the Apple users that upgrades every cycle. I'm not. Look, I went from a 4
1: to a 6S, and my 6S is already cracked in a lot of places. It's not okay. like I am super reverent towards Apple, but uh, just today I was listening to another favorite podcast of mine, uh, Roderick on the Line with... Uh, John Roderick from the great indie rock band The Long Winters, and Merlin Mann, who's a tech guy, and they really put it in a way that has made me feel like I have an answer to people who are going to be asking me about it. And that's, you know, the Android people. I got no beef with you. Why would I? But <laughs> if if they come to me and they try to talk to me about that, it's like it's like for. 10 years now I've been kind of just in this world of using apple it's what is familiar to me in muscle memory nothing nothing more nothing less and if I get this new phone and I find that it's something that is so uh troubling to me that I I can't handle it anymore, more than I won't uh people got so mad at the the dang uh ghostbusters thing before they saw it and i don't think people should be getting mad at the dang apple thing until they try it
0: yeah that's fair and it's worth noting that there are android phones that have already gotten rid of the auxiliary output and this is uh, a transition i think has to happen to an extent because the aux you know input and output has has been around since the early 80s our old you know tape decks and and cassette players have aux inputs and aux outputs and the favor of the USB-C for those who don't know is that it's much higher fidelity audio, so audiophiles should be very happy about this, but the downside is that you have to have different connectors and adapters and dongles, and Apple's going to sell them to you for $30 a piece, and you're going to lose them all the time, and that's all kind of uh, weird territory for this, but I think for music fans, what they should take out of this is uh, you might get higher quality audio, which some people care about, I guess. I mean, if you're already listening on a phone, chances are the files you're listening to are compressed to the point where this doesn't really matter. But uh, it's okay. I was interested to see if you guys had any divisive ideas on it because I know there are some people who are just incredibly upset with it. And I think, Noah, you're right. It's worth uh, it's worth trying before before you start bitching about it. Uh,
1: All I know is I'm not going to use the the
0: Bluetooth ones. Oh, they look awful. I've I'm already sorry. lost
1: like eight pairs and they haven't even come
0: out yet. I know, right? They just—why is there not a string connecting them? Like, like that you can put around your neck or something. I don't know. Okay, so I want to uh, follow up on a story that we talked about last month on the last roundtable, and that was Frank Ocean releasing his album Blonde. When we talked about that last month, he had not yet released it, so we were purely speculative in what we were talking about. But I do want to uh, talk about now that it's been released. Is this something that either of you have listened to? I mean, I know it's a pretty big deal right now in the in the the realm of music.
2: I've listened to it. Yes.
0: Did you like it? Did you dislike it?
2: Um, I don't think I'll listen to it as much as the last one. I I thought was I don't some of it I thought was a little self indulgent, like the track where his mom left a message about smoking weed or something. Um, Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't I don't know that the hype was worth it. But then again, like if that had been Radiohead, I probably wouldn't say the same thing. But (laughs) um, I just it's not I thought it was good.
0: That's good. I think it's I think it's a, a fascinating record because it shows us a unique way in which artists can now release their content. Because what I wanted to talk about in particular with this. Well, first of all, Noah, have you listened to it at all? No man, I'm
1: too busy listening to uh, to Pimp a Butterfly still. Oh, I love Pimp a Butterfly.
0: I had a whole, I had a whole episode here on the jukebox last December about where we were all talking about our albums of the year, and I was very defiant that that was the album of the year. I love that album, but uh, I w- I did want to mention in regard to Frank Ocean that streaming providers like Spotify are rumored to be uh. Not too thrilled about why I I, I can imagine they're not thrilled about the Apple exclusivity with Frank Ocean, but they're starting to push him down in results is the rumor is that he is now uh, getting pushed below other artists who have not chosen to forsake uh, Spotify or Rhapsody or whatever people use. Are either of you streaming music users? Is that something you use?
2: Sure. Yeah, I use Spotify.
0: Okay, so are you a paid Spotify subscriber or do you use the free one?
2: Um, I used to pay, but then I quit my job. So now I'm using free.
0: <laughs> Very good. You know what? It's it's still not piracy. I mean, I think that's the big yeah. thing is that you're no longer, I'm not saying you were, but people are no longer pirating music like they used to because of that. Uh, Noah, is that something that you use at all?
1: Yeah, you you gotta to an extent because I don't have the money to buy everything that I want to listen to. Uh, you know, I, I got problems with how much money they give to people but i got respect for the people that hustle for it
0: yeah exactly
1: Uh, i'm constantly hearing about that guy who has like 900 albums on spotify or whatever and he makes more money than i do in a year just because people uh type in the word poop in the search bar and listen to his stupid 30 second song about poop
0: (laughs) (laughs) hey you gotta play the streaming game to your benefit right (laughs) So that actually segues us into our next topic, which is that over 100 million users worldwide are now paying for streaming music services, the vast majority of which are Spotify. 39 million of them are Spotify. And it's worth mentioning that this this statistic is inherently kind of skewed because it is including 30 million people who pay for Sirius. And I guess Sirius is paying for music, sure. But uh, paying for the ability to license and stream music in your car. But I wouldn't say it's a streaming service, as I would something like Spotify or Deezer or Apple Music. So I think this is interesting because $100 million, comparatively to how many people pirate music and how many people listen to music, it's a very small number, but it's a whole lot bigger than it was before. Uh, do either of you care about, uh, is piracy something either of you are concerned about? Concerned about
1: in what way?
0: Are you concerned that piracy detracts from artists being able to do their work effectively?
1: No. I don't think that I ever have been, and I don't think that I've heard a convincing argument yet as to why. When you get to the point that people are actually putting your stuff online, you're at a point where you probably have an advance And you are at a point where the record labels kind of need to budget that into their profits.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's I think the downside to that, though, is say someone like like Kanye uh, gets, you know, Life of Pablo gets pirated. 500,000 times in the first 24 hours because it's only exclusive on title that takes away from his ability to monetize that record effectively. Um, I would be curious to know how I mean let's be real Kanye does not need that anyway so you're absolutely right if you're already at the point where people are you know pirating half a million copies of your record in the first 24 hours you probably don't need that revenue anyway but it is something interesting to look at because how much would he have made if it, that had been available to people versus just being exclusive on title? Because right now the most pirated thing is Blonde, and that and Blonde is only on Apple Music.
1: But I've also been thinking for a long time that like, if if people are going to pirate anyway, there there are some people who are going to be against it for moral reasons. There are some people who are going to be against it for their uh, their Fear of getting a virus or whatever, but if people are going to be doing that anyway, why not? I've always thought that if I'm Chick Fil A, I'm getting in there and I am putting some uh, advertisements in a torrent, and I'm having Kanye release it officially, and Kanye can get some some ad money to balance that out. You know, it's everywhere else, and rappers especially are. Uh, just off-the-cuff rap rapping about things like that, and we see it in TV, and it, it surprises me that we don't see it in music.
0: It would be brilliant for the Pirate Bay to go to Kanye, you're, you're absolutely right, and say, just place some ads for Life of Pablo all over the website, technically that's absolutely legal, because we're not technically in a legal platform, and there's nothing wrong right. with placing ads here, they do place ads. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Lauren is is pirating something that you have any as a as a lover of music and the people who put passion and love into it. Do you have any moral stigma with the people who do it?
2: No, because I just did it this week. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I feel like if I agree with no, I think a lot of the stuff that's out there is the stuff that. Um, it has an advance release and somebody leaked it. But if it's, like, I'm not going to go and pirate an album from a small band that's, like, making their money through DIY touring spaces. But if it's, like, Kanye West and his wife is making millions of dollars showing her butt on TV all the time, I don't think that that has an effect. Plus, I feel like if they know people are going to pirate it, then just make it and package it in a way that will entice those people that already pirated it to buy it.
0: Yeah, that's actually an interesting thing with Kanye, because as long as we're talking about him, he refuses to have any sort of physical media. And I am a person, I'm a big fan of his. I would love to have physical media that's not bootleg. I have plenty of Kanye bootleg vinyl and whatnot, but I would love to have a well-packaged Life of Pablo with some liner notes and that sort of thing. And, And if I had pirated it, I would still be incentivized to go and buy a physical copy. And he's closing that door for himself, which is perhaps not very smart. Uh, let's move on a little bit. We have a couple more stories, and then we'll hit the discussion segment. Uh, Traction, which was the, uh, the DAW, the digital audio workface that we told listeners about last month that is now free, and it's actually very good. Uh, Matt Stein and I both downloaded it after that show, and we spent a lot of time with it. And we got some email listeners about Oh well, this we got some well we have listeners who emailed who said this thing isn't free. When we download it, it makes us uh, it prompts us for a license. Well, just to throw it all out there so I can stop getting these emails, just hit OK. <laughs> if you if you don't put in a license and you type in your email, it will autofill a free license for you. That is how it works and they don't really specify that very well. So I did want to throw that out there as a follow-up to a story we, pre- we reported on last month because uh, we are getting some questions on that. Moving along, though, Prince Buster, who is a ska pioneer. You may have heard him in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, Really some terrific tracks like Enjoy Yourself, uh, stuff like Carolina." He passed away yesterday at age 78. Uh, Noah, are you at all a ska or a reggae or a dub fan at all?
1: Well, I grew up in beautiful... Uh, Hawaii. And so to an extent, yes. But uh, while I was, while I was coming up, you know, uh, third wave was all the jam. And I kind of focused on that until the point that I was ready to move on from that phase of my life. Uh, I know who Prince Buster is, but uh, I, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you my favorite song.
0: That's okay. Absolutely. And I think it's, I think we just want to, you know, leave a message a a mention of him out there because uh when I saw that he had passed, I I I have come across him in passing. I'm a big I'm a big reggae fan. I love reggae. And I had come across his music in passing in record stores and on the internet and all sorts of stuff. So I was familiar with him. But the reason I was familiar with him was because they re- the reggae artists that I loved all cited him as influence. And I thought that was really fascinating because he was coming around with the stuff in the late 50s and the early 60s with stuff like O Carolina, which far predates, you know, stuff like, you know, Jimmy Cliff in the late 70s and whatnot. You know, the harder they come and that type of music. This was way ahead of its time. Uh, Lauren, is that a, is these genres that you're at all in tune with?
2: Um, If no doubt counts, then yes. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs>
0: Well, that's all right. Uh, Prince Buster, rest your soul, thanks for the cool music. It seems like he was a really fine guy. There's a great uh, editorial all about his life that includes some video and photo on The Guardian's website. I'll link that in the show notes. Moving on, Ron Howard's Beatles documentary is due out September 16th in select theaters. It's going to be exclusive to Hulu online. I believe you will be able to stream it immediately on Hulu once it comes out if you do not want to go see it in the theater, because I do believe that uh, it's going to release at the exact same time with those, and it's only going to be in select theaters. The uh, album for the uh, film is also available right now on streaming services. It's actually 17 tracks long. Uh, So this film, I believe, it's not Shea Stadium, it's a Hollywood Bowl, I believe. Are either of you Beatles fans?
1: Oh, Brett, you're not going to like our answers. No. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's okay. Lay it on me.
2: No. <laughs> no. No.
1: That's I'm okay. Not. I like Ron Howard, but I think yeah. that the Beatles the Beatles wrote reasonably pretty pop songs. Uh <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you weren't gonna <laughs> like it.
0: <laughs> You've listened to like the last five years of their career, right? Not the first five. I don't
1: know. Okay. I was I was I You know, my mom impressed on me the Rolling Stones and my dad impressed on me Nirvana. And those were the bands that I started with. And I think a lot of people uh, had had the chance to start with the Beatles and those people are going to be more inclined to the Beatles than me. But when when there's so much else coming out, I've never taken the time to really really care okay
0: i'm sorry all right and it sounds like lauren also is not a beatles aficionado
2: no i tried to listen but i
1: got bored
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh you guys are kidding me okay right you should make a guest
1: mix for the gray
0: estates i would love that i because the beatles songs i would do it because uh there is definitely if you look at the early beatles i would wholeheartedly agree that they wrote Uh, you know, silly love songs and great pop songs. But uh, the last three, four years of their career was really compelling with some interesting songwriting and production styles. But anyway, uh, the reason I did want to mention this is because A, Ron Howard tends to do a really good job with this sort of thing. Uh, B, the album that came out is The Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, which was released in 1977. It's being re-released now and it's remastered. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because it sounds much better remastered because, uh, as I'm sure you guys are familiar, even not as Beatles fans, when the Beatles would perform live, and this was in August of 64, it was not the Beatles performing live, it was the Beatles attempting to hear themselves over a cacophony of screaming. It was just immensely intense and because of that the Hollywood Bowl recordings have always been really awful. Uh, They're really hard to hear the Beatles and with this one the remastered edition this year you can actually hear them and they're really interesting recordings. They're a great little time capsule and you can still hear uh, all of the screaming in the background and perhaps that's a good thing because it gives you context to the environment in which they were playing. But it is a really compelling listen if you are a Beatles fan. Uh, and yeah, I would happily do a guest mix on The Grey Estates. So speaking well, of... Oh, go ahead. The other thing about this documentary is it's coming out on Hulu
1: online. And I don't know when Hulu decided to go to be nothing but pay Hulu. But if we're talking about piracy, I, things have to be going pretty well if, if Hulu can stop offering the free Hulu and start offering pro only.
0: Oh yeah. Especially because there's two different tiers of it. Like the first tier is paid, but still with ads. And then the second tier is without ads. So right. That's,
1: that's crazy. And people can't put ads on the pirate bay. Come on. Think big.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I am going to sign up for a Hulu trial on an email of mine to watch this. And then I'm probably never going to use it again because Hulu doesn't have what I care about. But I'm very excited about this as a big Beatles fan. But I want to talk now about the Grey Estates. So I want to talk about the importance. We're going to move into our discussion segment here. And Hey, everybody. This is Brett Stewart. I wanted to briefly interrupt the program to talk about another one of our sponsors. As always, most importantly, we could not do these shows without these sponsors. It's so important that they help us make the Jukebox and its counterparts like the Jukebox Roundtable possible. This sponsor is College Radio Day. You can find them at collegeradio.org, and I'm going to play a little tidbit that they've sent me after this, but I do want to preface this personally. College Radio Day is happening on November 4th, and you can register for free on their website, you can get media on their website, and you can find a participating college radio station to listen to and to support that day. That's happening five weeks from right now. Now, I have been involved in doing college radio. I've been involved with WCRX 88.1 FM in Chicago. And so many college radio stations work tirelessly to produce really high-quality content. And if you are not tuned to your local college radio stations, give, it, give them an opportunity To captivate you with the kind of stuff they put on air Because it's not just music They put so much different fantastic programs on air Spoken programs Different themed programs Each college is different Each college has different talents It's worth checking out Support College Radio Day CollegeRadio.org Here is a message from them
1: College Radio Day
2: 2016 is coming on Friday, November
0: 4th Hey, this is Sean Lennon And I
1: support College Radio to me it's like the beating heart of American alternative, you know, music culture in a way.
0: Songs I've never heard, but I move anyway. Let's
1: roll! Tune in and enjoy a national celebration of the day when college radio comes together. Hi, this is Moby and I very, very happily support College Radio Day. So join us on November 4th as we ignite the soul of college radio and declare to the world that
2: college radio is alive and kicking. Hi, I'm Alanis Morrison and I support college radio. But I won't do your homework. Please don't ask
0: me. For more information, please visit collegeradio.org. The Gray Estates highlights the importance of female and gender-neutral artists. So, Lauren, I'd like to ask you right off the bat, what can music journalism do better, and what is wrong with the way they highlight female and gender-neutral artists, if they could indeed do something better, and if there is indeed something wrong?
2: I think the the biggest thing that wrong, that's wrong and the biggest issue of all is the fact that we even have to um highlight the female artists to begin with because I feel like when we do cover them so often people use the term like female fronted or girl band or female band which I don't even think gender should play a part I just think the reason we highlight them is because they're not getting coverage elsewhere. And when they do get coverage, like um, the AV club did a story on told slant and the comment section was some of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. And it's just a shame because I feel like we need to be more accepting. And if people are covering more of this, people will see that it's the norm now. Like, I, I don't think when you talk about artists, um, that have male members, you're not mentioning, like, oh, Radiohead's a male-fronted band, or, um, it's just, I think they need to be more aware of, like, just the the pronouns that they use and how they're worded, because, um, like, even in concert reviews and just reviews of artists, you'll notice so often that people mention what women are wearing during live performances, and would someone mention, you know, like, that the members of, I don't know, like what's a, like of a man band, like they were wearing jeans and a black shirt, but because it's a female, like if she's wearing a dress that suddenly becomes part of her identity. And I don't think, I think it should be more about the music and less about, um, like the gender politics of it.
0: Sure. They're not a female fronted band. They're a band. They're making yeah. music and that should be the utmost importance of that coverage. So you mentioned gender, um, pronouns, and one thing uh, I think is fascinating and very important is when you have gender-neutral artists, you need to have an awareness of the correct identification of that artist and the pronouns you should use, correct? Yes. Okay, so why don't you let our listeners know what those are because a lot of people don't know, and that is one of the problems is that there isn't a good discussion about, about how to approach this. So why don't you give us a rundown of what that is? And then I have a little anecdote.
2: Um, I found that the best way for me to handle it is to ask the artist, um, which gender pronouns they prefer. Um, because some will say like she and her, and then others will say they and them. Um, I, th- it probably depends on the artist. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking artists that you even know what their gender pronouns are just because i found that people are more appreciative of it um just to know that like you took the time out to even ask um but for the most part we've done a pretty good job i think um of asking so it hasn't been an issue and i feel like if it if you do make that mistake um there's nothing wrong with admitting admitting it and apologizing um because i've made that mistake just with People online before, and I feel truly apologetic for it. But um, I think it's just being aware and asking someone.
0: Absolutely. So something I would throw out there, and and let me know if anything I say is off base. But with some gender neutral artists, what I've experienced as a as a music critic is that a lot of people will look at a gender neutral artist and they they look male or female, and people will just immediately assign that identity to them and in reality when you talk to them they say I identify as as blank and that is their personal identification of themselves and that is the best way to talk about them so you mentioned uh, some people don't use male or female gender pronouns they don't use him they don't use her they may use they or them and this is something that I've experienced because I work Uh, doing press work for independent bands and artists. I work with about 20 bands a week, so I do it as a full-time job. And, uh, not often, but once in a blue moon, I will get a gender neutral artist and they will send me their press materials. They'll send me their preferred pronouns and I'll go back and I'll look at other press work that has been done on them. And it's so shoddy. You will see so many, uh, press writers and, uh, people who they've hired to do press releases, people who have written reviews about them, people who have done features on them using pronouns that they clearly do not align themselves with. And I found that really problematic because that was something systemic to me. That was something – other people doing what I'm doing are not taking the the time or even caring enough to know and understand that these people have specific pronouns that are relevant to them.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely true because I've noticed that even – and it's – sometimes it's artists I feel like that a lot of people know already and I think people are just too lazy to take the two seconds to look – Because they think, oh, I know this, like, yeah, like, like you said, they see a picture and think that they can just identify gender by that. But yeah, I definitely think I've seen some stuff like that, too.
0: So Noah, when you are doing the podcast, I'm sure that this is important for you is is when you are addressing an artist who may be gender neutral or has a specific type of pronoun, you have to essentially, you know, train yourself into making sure you are utilizing the correct terminology, because that's important, I think.
1: Sure. Yeah, there is. I I don't know that I would use the word train as much as just I I, you have to think twice about it just because you're socialized, uh, as you said, to to ascribe gender to people. Right. That's what I mean from birth. And I, you know, I'm a preschool teacher by day and. I. I really try my hardest when I'm around other teachers, who are, you know, calling all of the girls "honey" and "sweetie" and "toots" to refer to them by their name or refer to them by something that doesn't have such a huge gendered implication to it. Same thing with boys and and being "buddy" or "man" or, uh, you know, what whatever else, and it. It should be it should be a lot easier than it is to meet someone or see a press picture and then read what's underneath it and just be good to go off to the races. It's unfortunate that it's not, and the Gray Estates podcast has had a few, admittedly not as many as I'd like, uh, just by by virtue of. Of what's coming out right now. It's been a lot of uh, women uh, who identify as women that we've been talking to. But, you know, it, it's just all about getting it out there and facilitating getting it out there. And as you were saying before, when you talk about a boy band, you're talking about something very specific. You're talking about the Backstreet Boys, you're talking about In Sync, you're talking about 98 Degrees but when you talk about a girl band that can mean pretty much anything. And honestly, most of the time it means that it's a punk band that has a woman in it or a woman fronting it. And when it comes to me and my experience in writing about things like that, you have to at the very least be approaching it from a place where you're trying to do good by them. Like I, was doing uh, genre curation at a radio station in Indiana where I used to live. And uh, if you're going out there and you're calling a band a girl band just because you're too lazy to think of a better term, that's bad. But if you're there and you're writing uh, uh, a, a subheader for a review and you want to make it clear to the other people who are going to be spinning that track on the air and you know that there's an all-women's show on the station or you know that there are DJs who really want to focus on putting gender-neutral artists out there, I think it's completely appropriate to say, this band is made up of four women or this band is fronted by someone who identifies this way. And there's an extent where you can go out there and you're talking about a gender neutral artist and you can just say up front to your readers this is how you're going to identify this person and this comment section is uh not your first amendment zone you know we're going to call you out on it we're going to delete it if it's going to be a problem like speaking to the the told slant article on the av club so so yeah just think 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 about where where you're coming from and and hope that where you're coming from is heading in the right direction is what i would say
0: absolutely and when you talk about boy bands how they're in and of themselves kind of a genre which is why we can refer to stuff like you know the backstreet boys as a boy band when someone says like girl band or girl group my my mentality is girl group, which is an actual genre from the 1950s. Sure, uh, the Shangri-Las, exactly. You know uh, the Ronettes. You know the kind of stuff that inspired the Beatles, <laughs> um, and that is seems like a very apt place to analyze because th- within that scope of that time period, that was a really impressive uh, form of, of 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 a group because these were people like 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 Ronnie Spector uh, who were. Uh, who like Leslie Gore? You know, I mean, I mean, everyone this year has heard "You Don't Own Me," right? Because that was off the uh, the Suicide Squad uh, soundtrack, and that the young um, I can't remember her name. It's a this Australian woman covered it for the soundtrack, and they mixed her vocals with Leslie Gore's, and it was really cool. But when that song came out in the late, in I think it was 1962, actually. Leslie Gore was singing you don't own me i'm not one of your little toys and there was something very empowering about this bombastic intense female fronted girl group type sound this phil Spector production that was so empowering and so cool and showed that you know women could have a place in the music industry that was powerful and meaningful and not just be a little toy quote unquote of a of a man which which is what i think of when i think of girl groups but i also see a lot of um I see a lot of music journalism where, as you both have mentioned, you see people who are talking about what the women are wearing. You see people talking um, almost to an extreme extent about the fact that like, this is, you know, affronted by a woman, almost like they're trying to uh, exploit the idea that, that they are, uh, that they recognize it's a woman. And I don't think you need to do that. I think you can just talk about the band and people know there's a woman at the front of it. And, they can just make great music. And that's kind of what it is for me. It's like, for me, it's it's irrelevant to me, the genders of the band. I just want to hear great music.
2: Yeah, I would totally agree with that.
0: So what I would like to do is I would like to talk about some of the artists. You guys gave me a great list, and I actually went ahead online and I listened to all of these and I found some really cool stuff. I'm happy you guys sent this to me. I asked you both to send me some gender neutral and female and artists that you would write about on like the gray estates. Uh, and cause admittedly this is not a, um, this is not an era an, an area that I can specialize in like you guys, which is why I'm so happy you're here. So I would like to talk about a couple of these artists that you sent me and uh, I would love for you guys to explain them and maybe tell our listeners why they should uh, go check them out. So the first one that you guys sent me was adult mom and told slant and that was a gender, a gender-neutral outfit, right?
2: Yes, they're both, um, yeah, like two separate artists, correct.
0: Oh, they're separate. They're not together. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so they're both gender-neutral artists. And what kind of music, okay, let's talk about Adult Mom first then. What kind of music are they making?
2: Um, It's really um, like honest and intimate, I guess, like bedroom, I guess you could say bedroom pop, but it's more than that. Because so much of it is about their dealings with like anxiety and depression and just life, and I think it's really relatable and just sweet and honest, um, like stuff that you you'd write in your diary and then never tell anyone.
0: That's awesome, very cool. And what about Told Slant?
2: Um, they are they drum for um, some different artists, but in addition to their work. And it is like so amazing and astounding just to see them live and then to hear it. And they're kind of in the same path as adult mom, except I feel like their stuff is more visual and um, the vocals are really, really interesting, but they just came out with a new album pretty recently and it's really, really good.
0: Awesome. And do you know the name of the told slant album that just came out? Oh my gosh.
2: Um, I do not, but it's on, double-double
0: whammy. Okay, great. Well, what I'm going to do is that every single artist we talk about here, I'm going to have links in the show notes so people can go and check these artists out and I highly encourage that people do so. And I know what I'm going to be doing is since all these are indie artists, right?
2: Uh, Yes.
0: Well, I'm probably going to reach out to some of these artists for the jukebox because I am always looking for good indie music. Uh, Another artist, now this I wanted some clarification on. You sent me Julian Baker, Ian Sweet, and Leggy. Are these three artists that work together?
2: No, three separate ones.
0: Okay, they're three separate. Okay, so let's do a quick rundown. Uh, Do either of you want to tell us a little bit about Julian Baker? Take it away, Noah. Uh,
1: Julian Baker is, uh, I would say that she is part of uh, a triangle of great women who are putting stuff out uh, of Nashville in the past year or so, Julian Baker and Bully and... um, Torres, uh, all put out albums, uh, around the same time. Torres being a little more, uh, how would you describe Torres, Lauren?
2: I don't think I've ever listened to them.
1: All right. Fair enough. Torres is a little more layered than Julian Baker. Um, a little more dreamy, I would say. And, uh, Bully being the punk one, Julian Baker being the one who, you know, she, she recorded the album, in a closet in, you know, as few takes as she possibly could and it's it's stripped down and it's personal and it's 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 really beautiful. It was one of the sleeper hits of of two thousand fifteen. It came out so. way towards the end of the year, like too late for people to really latch on to it, unfortunately, but uh, So this you know, was I'll an put, intimate I'll sound. put sprained ankle up
0: with with anything from 2015. Very cool. So this was an intimate sound recorded in a closet, you say?
1: Yeah, at least the demos and uh the
0: the vocals,
1: you know, I think parts of it were recorded in a studio, but a lot of it was was closet.
0: I love that. I love an artist do that. Uh one of my favorite remixes, I guess you consider it a remix, of a of an of a band and an artist is when, uh, the Velvet Underground was working on their third album, and, uh, Lou Reed had mixed it the way he wanted it to be mixed, and then the, uh, the band had mixed it the way they wanted it to be mixed, and he was under the impression that the record was going to come out in his mix, and what ended up happening was, uh, they released the studio mix and his mix now is infamously referred to as the closet mix. He was, he didn't record it in a closet, but it sounds like it was recorded in a closet because he made everything feel much more intimate and close and natural where his vocals were elevated a little bit more above the instrumentation. The instrumentation was back down and a little bit more atmospheric and it just felt very cozy in that sound. And that is actually my, preference for listening to that record because they put the closet uh, tape out a couple years ago officially. Uh, I don't know if you either of you care about the Velvet Underground but that is a, a fantastic recording So, uh, moving along Ian Sweet and Leggy, why don't you give us a quick rundown on either of these guys That's all you learn. Or line. these two, rather
2: Um, Ian Sweet just came out with their album Shapeshifter on Hardly Art and it's like really um i almost want to say like experimental garage pop um it's really fun and a lot of it has to do with um, anxiety and depression and just going through life and then um leggy comes out of cincinnati and i think they call themselves like sweet tart candy garage pop or something it's really fun
0: (laughs) right and
2: they worked um previously with tweens but now they're kind of doing their own thing and it's really cool
0: that's awesome. And what about Against Me? And Against Me is stylized with an exclamation point at the end of it. They're releasing a new album next Friday.
1: Against Me was a huge one for me. I There are a few albums that I remember where I was when I first heard it, and I was cleaning up after an all-ages punk show at a coffee shop in Hawaii, and whoever was running the sound started playing the Against Me album Reinventing Axl Rose. And Against Me is really a great uh, example of what we've been talking about. Uh, I remember when Laura Jane Grace, the uh, front woman of Against Me, and uh, one of the only two people in the band who's been around in the band since it started, uh, oh gosh, close to 20 years ago. Um, she publicly came out as transgender following or during the release cycle of their most recent album, Transgender Dysphoria Blues, um, and when that happened, like I was, I was on a lot of punk message boards, and I was really into that whole thing. And then it, like, people's first concern was, well, how do we refer to the music that Laura Jane used to put out under the name that she used to go by? And honestly, they didn't say it as respectfully as I did. And people have become more hip to it, I think, in large part because of, of Laura Jane and her really publicly doing that and and really thrashing it out as as a as a front person in a band And you know they against me, they've gone through lots of phases. they started out, very lo fi and very, uh, acoustic and really started the whole folk folk punk movement. You know, they signed to fat records and went punk and then they signed to sire records and got a little more arena, Rocky, uh, transgender dysphoria blues. Um, it, it was a lot, as I said, more thrashy and, uh, I'm really excited for what their new album is going to sound like. I haven't heard most of it. It's called, uh, as a matter of fact, speaking of Ian Sweet and, and her new album, Shapeshifter, I think that the Against Me album is called Shapeshift With Me. And uh, it comes out next Friday on Laura Jane's own record label, Total Treble, that she started uh, in order to release Transgender Dysphoria Blues after uh, they left Sire Records. And as a matter of fact, Transgender Dysphoria Blues is uh, is a concept album that that Laura recorded when she would... Uh, go off on little writing retreats away from her wife and children. Um, She would check into a hotel and just wear uh, dresses and, and traditionally women's underwear and, uh, and experience what it was like to be transgender. And, you know, if she, if she hadn't written that album, she wouldn't be living the important life that she is now. So, I can't stress enough how how much of a big deal this next album is going to be.
0: Yeah, that is fantastic. And since this is coming out next Friday, we're recording on September 9th. It'll probably be coming out a couple days uh, before this podcast comes out because this will probably come out Wednesday. So I'm going to go ahead and leave a link to that record Um Once it comes on out and people will be able to check it out in the show notes. We have one more artist that you guys alerted me of that I'd like to touch on. This is Jenny Lewis, and she is currently touring with the Watson Twins for the anniversary of Rabbit Fur Coat. This is something that you had some strong feelings on, I believe, Noah, in regard to a song that was stolen from Lewis.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't. I don't understand it. Every time that I turn on the radio, it seems like I'm listening to this Lumineers song. I'm pretty sure it's the title track of their new album, and it is 100% exactly a Jenny Lewis tune, and I haven't been able to figure out if uh, Jenny Lewis signed off on that or what, because they, they run in similar circles, and it's if I were on the radio, I would be mentioning that every once in a while, that it sounds like that, because I think that it's... and and. I'm on the spot now I can't think of the Jenny Lewis uh uh track but you know it's it's an album that or it's a, it's a it's a tune that you would know but uh <laughs> Jenny Lewis she was realistically probably my first real crush she was in uh Lauren what's the name of that movie that Jenny Lewis was in the the
2: Beverly Hills Troop
1: Yes Beverly Hills Troop Beverly Hills. Yeah. She was in Troop Beverly Hills, and then she went on to f- uh, form and front Rilo Kylie before starting her her solo career, and now she actually has a side project. Can we cuss on this, Brett?
0: Yeah, you're fine.
1: <laughs> it's, it's called Nice as F***. <laughs> uh, okay. On the radio, they, they refer to it as NAF. But Jenny <laughs> Lewis is touring with the Watson Twins for the anniversary of their album together, uh, Rabbit for a Coat. And uh, I feel like a lot of bands have been touring on albums lately. I know that later this year I'm going to go to New York to see The Hold Steady do their reunion tour for Boys and Girls in America. And the reason that I wanted to select Rabbit Fur Coat was because I wanted to know what what album of a living band you two would most want to go see played straight
0: through. Oh, that's hard. Why don't you go ahead and why don't you go ahead, Lauren? I gotta think.
2: Um
1: Probably okay computer, right?
2: No. It would have been probably Wolf Parade, but I had this on my tickets, so way to dredge up that memory, Noah.
0: I'm sorry. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, that is hard. That I is would, hard. I would love to see um an album that I have always loved seeing performed and this is an artist, not a band. But I've I'm a, I'm a big Tom Waits fan, and, a, and, a, and an album I've always loved seeing Tom Waits perform. I really love seeing him just enact and 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 inject himself into its narrative is Rain Dog, or uh, Rain Dogs. So I would love to see him perform Rain Dogs in its entirety, especially because he never tours anymore, and I love his music dearly. So that would probably be something I would love to see in its entirety from an artist.
1: All right. Let's hear, let's hear it in the comments, too, everybody.
0: Yeah, please let us know. Email us, jukeboxpodcast at com. Is there a artist or band that you would like to see perform an album in their entirety? I know here in Chicago next month, I'm looking to get tickets to Brian Wilson doing Pet Sounds. I love Pet Sounds. So I know he's doing that type of tour right now. Uh, so let us know. That is a fascinating question, and that might have to be our... Uh, our playlist question for October. That's a good one. So I think
2: Noah's gunning for a co-host spot
1: with
0: uh, you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, so what I would like to do is I always at the end of the program do some new music that's coming out that I tell people that, you know, it's on my radar or on people I know's radar. I did want to mention in this section when we're talking about the gray estates and independent uh, artists who are gender neutral or female artists, uh, I have just fallen in love with the music of margaret glasby over the last month or two are you guys familiar with her at all Mm -mm. no oh my goodness i i saw her on a npr tiny desk concert and uh, you might you guys may have seen those where they bring them into the npr uh, offices and have them perform a tiny little corner and she has an album out right now just came out called emotions and math and it is the my favorite record of this year I think it eclipses so much that I've loved this year it's so well done it is bluesy it has some rock vibes to it has some soul to it and Margaret is just the most razor-sharp lyricist I've heard in the longest time Uh, everything that she goes through on that record is so concise there is not one superfluous word in her lyricism and I just love that, and the whole record she wrote over the course of seven years, and it's all about her. Uh, a lot of it is about is about her breaking up with guys because those guys are trying to uh, pin her down in a specific way that makes her feel uncomfortable or makes or makes her feel belittled, and so there's a lot of this like almost angst into it in that regard, which is really fascinating stuff and she makes some excellent points and then the other half of it is kind of the polar opposite where she has some songs about about falling in love and that sort of thing and some more aggressive stuff and some more soft stuff and emotions and math is just incredibly good i would highly recommend people check it out um before i dig into a couple things i was going to mention that are coming out is there anything coming out on either of your horizons that you would suggest listeners take a look at. I know, Noah, people should take a look at the Against Me record coming out here shortly. Is there anything else?
1: Coming yes. out, not for me. It's Lauren, take it away.
2: Um, September 30th, Bellows is dropping Fist and Palm on Double Double Whammy, and I just listened to it today twice, and it's so good. So definitely get that.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Is there anything else?
2: I'm trying to think what I, oh, well, what I pirated this week was for my brother. It was local natives, but <laughs> I didn't listen to that yet.
0: Okay, right on. That's good. I <laughs> want oh, to- actually friends
1: of ours, uh, Hiccup. I don't know when the album's coming out, but an, an, the new album from Hiccup is going to be out early next year from uh, Father Daughter Records.
0: Very cool. That's awesome. I'll have links to everything we talk about again in the show notes. Four quick records I wanted to mention that maybe should, people should put on their radar. Blonde is worth checking out, as we talked about at the, at the top of the show. You may like it. You may not. It was probably a little overhyped. But if you can get a hold of it, whether you have to pirate it or whether you go on Apple Music which is or iTunes, fortunately, you can actually buy it on iTunes, so you don't just have to have Apple Music. Uh, and it's it's a great record. It's maybe not as wonderful as as the hype led it to be over the course of three and a half years, but it's really worth listening to. Uh, today, which is again uh, Friday, September 9th, Wilco came out with their latest record. I'm a big Wilco fan. Being a Chicagoan, I just love Jeff Tweedy and I love Wilco. Their new album is called Wilco Schmilco, and I took two listens to it last night because I had the pre uh, I had the pre order and I downloaded it right at midnight. It's really good. It's fun music. And then the final two things I would mention, if we have any Jack White fans out there, any Meg White fans of the White Stripes or of his solo career or his stuff with his other outfits and bands that he works with, he did just put out yesterday his acoustic recordings collection from 1998 to 2016. It has stuff from the White Stripes moving all the way up to his most recent record. And if you are a Jack White fan of any Shade, you might really enjoy that. And finally, I wanted to throw a act in here that I love dearly, and he never gets any sort of press in any way, shape, or form, which makes me very sad, and that is Bill Kirchen. Uh Kirchen is probably in his late 60s now. He's an older gentleman, and he is joined by Austin DeLone, who is a uh, pianist for their new album, Transatlantica, and you can check that out. Over on Bill Kirchin's website. I'll put a link in the show notes. The reason I love Bill Kirchin is because the reason I discovered Bill was I was listening to some of my favorite records of this, uh, the late 70s, early 80s. A lot of Nick Lowe stuff, a lot of Elvis Costello. And I was looking at the liner notes, and this same name kept popping up. Bill Kirchin Bill Kirchin, playing trombone, playing guitar. And then I went and saw him a couple years ago and got to meet him and, and do a, li- a little interview with him and talk with him. He's the nicest guy in the world, and he is fondly referred to as the king of the Telecaster. He plays a Fender Telecaster. He is an unbelievable guitarist. He will just blow your socks off. He's really, really talented, and... Over those years, he played as a session musician on all of those uh, uh, stiff records artists. So people like Elvis Costello and people like Nick Lowe, people like Reckless Eric, uh, all those records that came out of stiff records in the late in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, Kirchin was on a lot of them. So their new album, Transatlantica, which is his, uh, his project with Austin DeLone, is kind of rockabilly which I I definitely have mixed feelings about sometimes, but it's just so lovable and it's so well done and it's so earnest and it's lyricism and it's production and it's presentation that if you uh, you enjoy Americana music, if you enjoy good uh, instrumental performance, particularly from guitar and piano, it's something to look at. Uh, Moving on though, that's a bunch of new music for people to check out. I want to talk about where people can find both you Noah and Lauren online. Obviously, they can find it at the Gray Estates, which will be in our uh, show notes below. Noah, is there anywhere else you want to direct people on over to? You can follow me on
1: Twitter at N-O-W-A-H. That's uh, at Noah with a W in the middle, right smack dab.
0: All right, right on. And What about you, Lauren?
2: Just the Gray Estates because my personal Twitter is too whiny. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay and we should mention that if we have artists who think their music might be a good fit because about I've learned over the over the last two years that about half of the listeners of the jukebox love independent music and about half of them are independent musicians which is a balance I'm really happy with so if the latter if they feel like their music might be a good fit for the gray estates they can send you music on your site right
2: yes um we have a contact page but it's just our email the grayest dates at gmail.com
0: that's awesome and your guys podcasts can be found on all podcast directories right like itunes and all that of stuff google play stitcher uh those are the big three great because i know but i have your podcast on pocket casts that's how i listen so it works there too in case you guys are wondering <laughs> um then wonderful leave us a review Yeah, very. leave us a review, too. Leave everyone reviews. We all need them. We're independent podcasters. Reviews help more than you guys know, especially on the iTunes store, because even though not everyone listens on iTunes, iTunes still aggregates uh, recommended results, the charts, all that good stuff. Apple holds uh, an unwieldy amount of power with podcasting still, so leave us all reviews Uh, and check out The Gray States. They do some really great stuff on that podcast. I want to thank both of you for coming on, taking time out of your Friday evening to talk with me about music it's been a lot of fun i really appreciate it
1: yeah thank you thanks brett this was great
0: absolutely we'll check both lauren and noah out online with the gray estates that's going to do it for myself for lauren and for noah you will catch us again later this month with the full episode thanks for tuning in the jukebox podcast is available on all platforms and podcast directories Visit the show at jukeboxpodcast.com for more content or email us at thejukeboxpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy The Jukebox Podcast, please consider rating it on the iTunes Store or in the podcast directory of your choice.